Garoppolo getting his first action here in the entertainment capital of the world. The world. Touchdown, Las Vegas. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show. Airs it out down the middle for Adams. Got it. Inside the 10. Time to get your daily prescription prescription from the doctor. Talking a little more football, championship weekend, AFC, NFC championship games, Casey in Baltimore, San Francisco, Detroit. We'll talk more about that bottom of the hour. Jesse Merrick from News 3 will join us. Appreciate Steve Berline. Join us in hour number one. Scott Spritzer, our handicapper extraordinaire. And this hour, we talk Raiders. And join us now, the great Raiders insider, ESPN, the one and only Paul Gutierrez, the man who has been waiting by his phone, waiting outside, putting word after word down, doing it all, and now maybe he gets a, a little breather today. Maybe he's going roller skating. Who knows? There it is, a little roll bounce. little roll bounce, baby. One of the best movies of all time. We talk a lot of breaking, but come on. Roll bounce is one of the most underrated roller skating movies, Paul Gutierrez. 1978, it is set in in south side of Chicago. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, I, I usually I'm picking up what you're putting down, TC. But but today I'm going to say my favorite roller skating movie starred like it was either Raquel Welch uh, was one of the dive bombers, or oh, yeah. when Laverne and Shirley were were the roller derby girl, the ladies, or with Charlie's Angels went undercover. That's that's as deep as I'm going to go there. Um, but you buried the lead, man. You got jujitsu. Jesse, he's coming on. I'm sharing the hour with Jiu-Jitsu yeah. Jesse. Yeah. All right. You, you got to make sure to call it. He's Jiu-Jitsu Jesse from here on out. That I am giving him that introduction because, you know, I know that he's been in the <laughs> boxing ring with our good friend Brian Salmon before. And, you know, there's, yes. th- they have a little, uh, you know, a little battle like who's the best boxer. But, yeah, the Jiu-Jitsu, I had no idea. So that's Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, he's a dangerous man. Ju- oh, that's it. That's his new moniker. Yeah, it's a tongue twister. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tongue twister, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, you got to do me a favor, man. D- during this off season, okay, you got to go ahead and take a- a- an hour and in forty seven minutes and watch Roll Bounce. You're gonna love Roll Bounce. Roll Bounce. It is a great right. soundtrack, my friend. It is one of the best soundtracks, and, and you know because you and I are on the same page with that. We are. I'm also though. I'm looking up right now. The Raquel Welch movie was Kansas City Bomber. Kansas City Bomber. American. Yeah. Okay. Roll bounce. I'm, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to put it in the queue. Yeah. And we'll go. All right. There it, it is. Roll bounce. It's yeah. actually 152. What? Wow. I was close. You were close. Wow. And I'll give you. You yeah. were close. Well, you know, you know why? Because that is the the uh, with the credits grow up, uh, go up. You actually get the uh, mixed version of um, um, God. Why am I drawing the blank now? Um, no, man. Now, see, I'm blowing it. I'm blowing it. It's a uh, boogie oogie oogie. You got the boogie oogie oogie mix. Okay. Uh, Not okay. only, you know, with a taste of honey, but with little Bow Wow who stars in the movie and he and he has a little flavor. It's a it's a great rendition. Now, I'm not much for these samples, but this is a good one, Paul. I gotta tell you. Here it comes. Here it comes, baby. Okay. Yeah, with Wayne Brady, your DJ, in the mix. Here we go, baby. Yeah. Wow. That's what I'm talking about. 
Yeah, this. I mean, you are going to be grooving in this movie, man. Especially then with the credits. Right. I, I can see you just like rolling, rolling the wrists and all that. Like, you know what you're going to want to do? You're going to want to like go wherever you go, King Skate Country or whatever, and, uh, <laughs> and, and do your thing. You may want to go to Floyd Mayweather's uh, Crystal Palace. You know, you, you ever wow. gone there? Yeah. No, no. Yeah, no, over on Boulder my, Highway. My roller skating days. <laughs> my roller skating days ended in the, in probably 1983 when I was 13. So I hear you, man. I that's, hear that's you. Coming to go. <laughs> right. You know, you know why? Because uh, when it came time for this uh, call, Paul Gutierrez would run to the snack bar. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a couple skate, and Paul would just run. <laughs> you were down for the couple skate, Paul. There it is. Oh, there it is. Oh. <laughs> This is your this is your typical Raiders interview, Paul, isn't it? I'm telling you, right? <laughs> uh, well, atypical is typical with, with you. Whenever I'm on with you, and I'm and I'm digging it. Like I said, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Woo! All right, man. Let's go to the let's go backwards now to the Raiders press conference <laughs> from yesterday. Just backwards in time is really what I meant. All right, you're there. We get the dual press conference introducing Antonio Pierce as the head coach and Tom Telasco as the general manager. So, what was what were you picking up yesterday when Mark Davis introduced to this dynamic duo? And you got a chance to hear uh, for both, especially Tom Telasco. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. It it, it kind of checks some boxes is the way that that I that I phrase it because I did talk to Mark afterwards on the phone. I called him up because he didn't speak yeah, other than his opening statement yeah. introducing the guys. He didn't speak. He didn't hang around. He told me he didn't want to take away from the the spotlight right. that, that that belongs to those two gentlemen up there. So you know, there was there was this. There's always been this narrative that that Mark was. You know, he didn't want to pair a rookie GM with a rookie head coach again, just like he did back in 2012, his first full year as the owner when he had Reggie McKenzie and Reggie hired Dennis Allen. So he admitted, he acknowledged to me that, you know, he was uncomfortable with the concept of that, but that didn't mean that he would never do it. But what he wanted was the right fit. So when they went ahead and made the choice to, to hire Antonio, who is the ultimate alpha, the ultimate in your face. Even he calls himself AP. There's a, there's a lot of Ricky Henderson in AP when, when he's referring to AP, you know? The third so person. I, I like that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so you get that of the, that part of the yin, then you get the yang of the, the stoic, the cool, um, almost robotic, but a little bit of emotion of Telesco. That's, you kind of see where it's going. You get the rookie head coach and a guy who not only has been a GM for 10 years, had a little bit of success, and knows the division intimately. You pair those things together, then that's kind of, of what Mark Davis was trying to trying to assemble, so to speak. So I see where he was going with that. It's a very polarizing move. I mean, you know, I've covered this team a long time, and to me, the most polarizing figure in franchise history is is Derek Carr, for for good and bad. And the reactions of fans yesterday was was along those lines. I'm not going to say it was as polarizing as Derek Carr, but a lot of fans loved it. A lot of fans absolutely despised it. So that's why they play the games. But the vibe I was picking up was, you know, not so much oil and water as much as fire and ice, hot and cold, hard and soft, not in a negative sense. But but in, and to me, as we referenced jujitsu Jesse earlier, being a martial artist and growing up with it, I see kind of a yin and yang pairing. At least that's the plan. 
and then you got to go play the game and see what happens. And see, that's the thing for me. I'm looking at this combo, and you know, if, if you're an old school wrestling fan, Paul, you know, tag teams are big. I mean, and the tag team yeah. champions. I mean, you can't be yin and yang. I mean, you got to be on the same page there, man. You got to you got to yeah. tag in, tag out. You got to you know have the finishing hold. You got to make sure you know, especially if you're a heel, that you've got that art down to distracting the referee, and we get the quick three count. You know, boom, ring the bell, and I'm yeah. Chuck. There you go. And I'm not. Don't know if I see that with this. I'm, I'm again. No. We go from the Raiders and then Telasco going like, and I'm, and I'm just sure that you were like looking at his face immediately when, when AP was doing that. And it's just like I don't know. We, we experience and let's say rookie. And how are they going to work and coexist? Because I think it's really interesting when Mark Davis was saying, well, of course, the general manager is going to have the, you know, the ultimate decision making power here, but these guys are going to work together and he sees it working, you know, swimmingly well. Do you, do you see that? I see. Well, and, and again, I, I, I picking up everything you're putting down and I agree with you. I, I lean your way. Right. Um, but I also see the vision of them balancing each other out because AP Antonio, he can be seen as a little bit over the top where how long can that really carry the day? The emotion, right. the Raiders chant, all that. And then you've got the cool cunning of, of Telesco. And it's not so much that it's a harmonious balance, but it balances each other out. And I think, I believe that is what Mark Davis is trying to accomplish here. Because again, when I asked him point blank, how important was it to get a veteran guy to pair with your young rookie fiery firebrand, fire and brimstone coach? He said it wasn't so much about getting a veteran as much as getting the right guy at the right time for the right team right now. Hmm. So, you know, hammer away, Raider Nation, Raider fans, uh, critics, national columnists. That, I, I'm not saying one way or the other it's going to work or it's not, but it's it's intriguing and it's different yeah. than what Mark's done in the past. Because when you had Reggie McKenzie and Dennis Allen, they they, they kind of were cut from the same cloth in terms of being emotionless. You know, when you had John Gruden and Mike Mayock, that was fire and water there. But it was also you had a head coach that ran roughshod on the personnel decision making. Right. Uh, whereas Mike Mayock was a first time GM for one team when he was a virtual GM on TV for 32 teams. So. Yeah. This is this is different, and it's like I said. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it is what it is, and I see what Mark's trying to do. People would look at this and say, "Well, he's just trying to not make the same mistakes as before." Which is, he hired Antonio because he didn't want to make the same mistake he did two years ago by not hiring Rich Passaccia. He's hiring, he's pairing a veteran GM with a young coach because he did not want to make the same mistake he did back in 2012 with Reggie and DA. So it, it, again, whichever lens you want to put to this. You're going to see what you want to see. Yeah, and for me, you know, I it's not that I don't like it, or I'm I'm just I'm just it's it just seems you know kind of a little bit strange. So I'm not saying I'm I'm anti or not. Yeah. Now I'll say this, and I said it yesterday. I actually like the the hiring of, of Tom Telasco because. You know, here it is. I'm I'm always a guy. I want an experienced head coach. I want an experienced general manager. I want experience, experience, experience. I don't like the experiment. And again, the Atlanta Falcons, they keep experimenting. They did it again today. And I just yeah. I just don't like that. And so for Mark to realize, say, I don't want to go down that same road, you know, because the other general managers we had had not had any uh experience in that role before. And here you go. I mean, it, this this guy's got experience. Now Here's my questions, Paul, and 
And again, I, I'm sure no one, of course, no one's going to ask him this, you know, immediately or whatever, but what happened there in Charger land this year? Because as we know that the Raiders and the Chargers both made the exact same move, was it a week or two apart where you dismiss general manager and head coach? And of course, the Chargers dismiss uh, probably at halftime of the game, they're getting drill pressed, you know, by the Raiders and that giving up 63 yeah. points. And so what happened there? with the Chargers, and why was it a joint um, dismissal? Now, we, we've been making uh, fun of Brandon Staley for, you know, ever since he's been in the league, and then, you know, with his, his, his quirkiness and those, you know, fourth and eight, you know, fourth and four calls from his own 18, et cetera, et cetera. But Telasco was always a guy that, again, had the experience with, uh, with uh, Colts, had the experience with the Chargers, made some great drafts. I've always liked that. But what happened there at the end in the Chargerville. Yeah, in terms of just the dynamics there, I've heard a lot of things off the record that, that I'm not ready to, to report yet, and I'm sure our Charger, I've been looking at our Chargers uh, reporter when it, when it happened. All I know is this. I'm the one that asked during the press conference yesterday, uh, Antonio, how long it took him to remind Tom when he came in the building about the 63 points he dropped on his Chargers, which led to him being fired the next day. Beautiful. And got a, got a pretty good laugh. Yeah. Uh, Telesco looks at me, throws his hands up and feigned, uh, you know, just, whoa, wait a minute. What do you guys do? Thanks for the question, you know. Mm. So that that's part of it. That's definitely part of it. Because, again, the, the, the polarizing views here, you got a lot of fans that are, like, loving it because he drafted all these guys, these names, Melvin Gordon, Keenan Allen, Joey Bosa, Derwin James, Justin Herbert. That's great. Those are all first-rounders. You didn't have to do anything. They came to you. And, oh, by the way, how were you in position to pick those guys? Yeah, right. Because you were terrible the year before. Right. Right. And and overall, the overall body of work, he's eight games under five hundred as a GM in in 10-plus years. He only went to the playoffs three times and went two and three. You know, those are the negative things of it. But then when you compare that to what the Raiders have done since then, the Raiders have had 13 first-round draft picks since 2013 when Telesco took over as GM of the Chargers. Of those 13 first-round draft picks that the Raiders have made, only three of them remain under contract. And one of them is Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs, uh, Colton Miller, and um, Ty- Tyree Wilson. Right. Ten right. of them, all the guys, are gone. So it's almost like you look at it this way, too. Telesco has had success in the first round and now the backside of that question is well how how did he have all those, those early draft picks well okay that's that's a different story for a different time but he has had success there the raiders have failed tremendously with their first round picks over the past decade plus right, so if you can get to let success in the first round and the raider success in the middle rounds where they find the hunter renfro's the max crosby's and those guys boom now you're cooking with cooking with gas Paul Gutierrez, ESPN.com Raiders Insider, joins us. Paul, obviously Telesco's got a major, uh, you know, probably rebuild here, scouting department, all that sort of thing. He's going to want to bring in his own guys. And then you look at the coaching side here with Antonio Pierce. Who's making these calls here, and how does Pierce and Telesco, you know, fill out the coaching staff? As I was told yesterday, Telesco, the general manager, has final say on roster and personnel decisions. That's as far as the owner would go in telling me that stuff. Now, they all they said all the right things yesterday. Um, and again, you you would think that the GM has the final say on everything, right? I mean, I'm, I'm an old baseball scene head writer from back in the day, and I, I, it stuns me in the NFL when coaches are hired before GMs. And yet, that's what we just mm-hmm. saw. Right. Does that mean they have more power? I don't know, but it's kind of weird to say that you know, hey, I'm going to welcome my boss in and I'm going to tell him what's going on here. 
But Telesco said all the, the right things yesterday where he said he was going to have to adapt to the culture that was already in place. He was going to have to adapt and learn the roster before going in there. He's not going in there with a wrecking ball. It, it's totally different from when John Gruden came back in 2018. That was a roster that only a year earlier had been to the playoffs. Um, and instead of taking a nice shiny, uh, shining rag to it and buffering, buffing it and, and shining it up and, and sending it on its way, he took a wrecking ball to it. And it took a few years for that thing to, to recover a little bit. I don't know what the vision is going forward. I just know that he's had success. Um, the number one question is offense and quarterback, OC and, and quarterback. And we'll see by the names of people that are coming in um, to, to take a look at this. And, and the fact that they're talking to Kingsbury, that's interesting to me there because you're talking about another big name, another big personality. Um, and then that also means what are they going to do in the draft? they got the number 13 pick. You want one of those top three guys, you got to get up to number three. And I don't know how you go from 13 to three. That's very expensive. Right. All right, man. Full disclosure, uh, when Antonio Pierce wanted uh, to lead that whole room in the press conference uh, into the Raider chant, uh, were you participating? Um, no. There you go. There you go. <laughs> we had this discussion. I, I looked at him like, oh, right? my late grandmas would say, pobrecito. Yeah, right? No, I'm going to blame Will Kiss for that. We will blame Will for everything, and, and Will takes it. Will's a champ. Yeah, no, that was it, it. Was I understand what he was trying to do? Yeah. Um, there was one. There was one person that that uh, participated and didn't know that they shouldn't have. But oh, whatever. No, really? And it was amazing yeah. to me. The fans got so mad at us too. It was like, look, that's not our job. And right. And, and quick story, real quick. It reminded me of one of my first. Well, my first job as a sports illustrator. I lived in New York. I went to go do like a side kind of a story on Sidney Green. I don't know if you remember Sydney Green. Of course I do. Absolutely. Yep. He was coaching at Long Island, out in Long Island, Southampton. Mm-hmm. I went out there to go just kind of observe. I was like his personal guest for the day. They get ready to break the huddle to take the court. He tried to wave me in to like break the huddle. Right. With him. I'm like, Sid, I can't do that. I'm not on your squad. <laughs> I got five fouls to give and That's it. Right. Other than that, I'm not joining your huddle. So it was similar to that. Yeah. He was just fired up. He's ready to go. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting again to see how long that plays out and, and the success that comes with it. Cause I will not, you know, I'm not, I'm not killing this hiring at all or this pairing. But I do wonder how how they do mix and match with such different personalities. And the plan, again, is for them to kind of be a yin and a yang. Yeah, when we heard that, you know, the the crowd that was in there, I'm going, no, that can't be media members. They're professional. It had to be the executives. Executives had to be, or somebody, you know, had to be in there. But uh, it was not Paul Gutierrez or Jiu-Jitsu Jesse. It was was not either one of them. No. Well, you know what? You might want to ask Jiu-Jitsu Jesse. He might have got down. He might have got caught up in the moment. That's true. That's true. (laughs) That's true. He doesn't have that plethora of experience like you do, PG. You know? No, I don't think he would have. I don't think. There were a lot. I think every single employee in the building was in there because when i walked in i was like "Uh oh there's a lot of employees here and if you're not in here you're going to get in trouble and yes there's going to be a raiders chant at some point and sure enough bingo bongo boom my friend i appreciate the time as always uh we will talk to you soon uh enjoy uh your off season and i guess next up for you we've got super bowl we got draft and all that kind of stuff and uh, we'll be talking to you see you on radio row you got it brother we'll be there all right Take take care there he is paul gutierrez make sure that we have him on Radio Row uh, when we're there the Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of the Super Bowl. Antonio Pierce, head coach. Um, Nemchuk's showing me some numbers here. Current Raiders coaching staff playing the NFL. My, I, yeah, my guy. I stop right there and I see my man Edgar Bennett. 
We got to get EB on, man. EB's my guy from Green Bay. Seven years, Super Bowl, that great Packers Super Bowl team, 96, yeah. Uh, Antonio Pierce played in the league for nine years, Super Bowl, Pro Bowl. Uh, Cam Clemens, three years, assistant offensive line coach. Jason Simmons, 10 years. Uh, Gerald Alexander, safeties coach, six years. Uh, Ricky Manning, remember him, six years, cornerbacks. Uh, Danny Amendola, all right, 13 years, two Super Bowls. So that's what we got. We'll see who will get kept, who will not get kept. Uh, again, those are some some big questions. But you can see where Antonio Pierce wants to go. He wants former players like himself to be in charge of those position rooms, which I totally understand. I get that. But remember, like Edgar Bennett, my guy, I mean, a leader of men, big time, plethora of knowledge. There's two plethoras there. I like plethora. Um, so we'll see where they go with that. But yes, Tom Telasco, he's got the experience. I think Paul brought up a very good point. As a general manager with the Chargers, he's under 500. Now, granted, that's kind of unfair. You know, coaches get tagged with win-loss records, and we look at that as the almighty. They get hired and fired by that. GMs usually, their record is kind of secondary. It's more about, okay, the guys that you selected or you decided to bring in via free agency, how did they perform? What kind of individual years did they have? How did they contribute to the team? And that's what a GM is judged off of. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, oh, so-and-so and so, uh, this GM is, this is what his record is. Therefore, he deserves a raise or, you know, gets fired. Because the talent that he assembles, they've got to perform. And they got to perform under that head coach. So it's not necessarily directly underneath that GM, even though it's their picks. But hey, a good GM oversees everything, is involved, and you're having constant communication with the head coach about not only schemes and personnel and that sort of thing, but again, because you guys are tied at the hip. It'll be very interesting to see how a 29-year front office veteran in Tom Telasco, again, 11 years with the Chargers as the general manager, meshes up with Antonio Pierce, who is a rookie head coach. And last year, he coached nine games as an interim, but there wasn't much he could do. Again, you know, if he did he want to play Jimmy Garoppolo quarterback? Did he not? Was he told not to? Whatever. Well, now it's his show. So it'll be interesting to see, again, what who they put on that field for him to coach. Will Jimmy Garoppolo be back? Is it Aiden O'Connell? Are they going to try to make a trade for a quarterback? Are you know they're going to draft a quarterback? Okay, there will be some quarterbacks available, some good quarterbacks, decent quarterbacks available at thirteen, depending on how everything shakes out on draft day. So we'll see how it goes. All right, um, Aiden O'Connell says it would only be right if the team brought in another quarterback to compete for the starting job with him. He said that Antonio Pierce. Uh, thanks Antonio Pierce and Champ Kelly for allowing him to play this past season. It was definitely a confidence booster. And Antonio Pierce was asked about that, about the quarterback position. Tom Telesco yesterday, the press conference said, Hey, you know, what I saw from him across the field, played the Chargers, you know, yeah, he looked good. Wasn't committing to, he's going to be the quarterback of the future for the Raiders. But Antonio Pierce gave him a, a big pat on the back, which you could see. It's like, okay. He played him. He was kind of his guy, and he had to play him. 
So he's probably going to go to bat for Aiden O'Connell. So this is going to be the big question mark and the big test is like, okay, if Telasco say not, nah, you know, this kid, he's a fourth round pick from Purdue. Okay. You know, but you know, we, we, we got to go in a different direction and we'll see if he gets pushback from Antonio Pierce. I mean, that is probably going to be the main thing. We're going to have to find out if these guys are on the same page or not. It'd be very, very interesting to see that. Um, would the Raiders make make a trade with the Bears to get the number one pick? I know a lot of people are asking that. Let me tell you. <laughs> Do you know what the Raiders would have to give up, okay, to get acquire the number one pick? They would have to give up three first round picks. Three first round picks in the next couple of years. That that next few years. They would have to do three. Do you want to mortgage that? And I'm not even sure the Bears would take it. They might, especially if they're not sold on Caleb Williams. Which Caleb, I which I think Caleb Williams is the best quarterback coming out of the draft. From what I understand, Caleb's not wanting in Chicago at all. Well, we see this all the time. Yeah. You know, that who wants to go to the worst team in the NFL? Now, granted. Chicago is not the worst team, but they're in the bottom 10 of the league right now. There's some working parts there, but offensively they're void. No, if you're Caleb Williams, I mean, come on, man, West Coast guy, you know, you, you don't, you don't you want to go to Chicago, you know, and again, playing for that coaching staff. But this is what, when you're the top guy, Unless you want to pull a John Elway or a, you know Peyton Manning and say, "Hey, I don't want to go play there," you know, you want to kind of force the hand. That's that's a little dangerous. So, you know, when you're a rookie and say you're the top pick, take the honor, be the number one pick, and do the best you can with the circumstances around you, and play your tail off for that next contract. But I get it though because. If you're used to having, you know, a stellar offensive line in front of you in college and you're going to one of the worst teams in the National Football League, you're you're concerned because we've seen great college quarterbacks go to bad organizations and it does not work out for them. Heck, Baker Mayfield is a perfect example of that still to this day he has not been with a top-notch team. Still has not. But he did the best he could with Tampa Bay because they had some pretty good surrounding talent. They had been deep into playoffs before, and it finally worked out. But look how long it took. What did it take? What, seven, eight years for Baker Mayfield to to finally have a decent year and to be upright? And, you know, he's had a lot of seasons being all banged up. But, yeah, if the Raiders or anybody is talking about dealing with the Chicago Bears for the number one overall pick, three first-round draft picks. Three number ones. That's what it's going to take, and it's not negotiable. It's like okay, we'll give you you know maybe one or two. No, it's three is that number. You may never get a number one overall pick again if you're a franchise. So you want to either make that right pick, or if you feel you know what the true number one overall does not fit, we got we actually got somebody that we believe in, then you trade it. That's the only time that you trade it. Not my fault that <laughs> the Bears drafted Justin Fields. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Then again, we're probably expecting the number one pick. You know, Carolina to be the way they are. Carolina had the number one pick, had that trade. Now the Bears have it. And I'll say this too. 
A lot of people don't sit, talk about this. There is nothing wrong with taking a Caleb Williams and having Justin Fields. Go ahead. The object is to take the best player that is on the board, no matter the position. All right. If you got a, a talent, what we think Caleb Williams will be like, again, a lot of it depends on which team he lands with, but just as far as the raw talent and his passing ability, run ability, command of the offense, Caleb Williams looks to me the best quarterback coming out of college this year. There's nothing wrong with taking him and having those two guys battle out for the number one. And then you know what you do? After training camp's over, make your decision, or before you make your decision, then you pedal that guy. That's when you make the move. But compete or keep them both. There's nothing wrong for keeping them for an entire year and then see how it's going to play out. And you know what? You can always go back to Justin Fields if you feel like, okay, you know, we're paying this guy number one overall pick a ton of money and we got to play him. Just you could do that. Do that for a whole year. Have them both. There is nothing wrong with that. But there's this mentality with GMs and coaches. Oh, I can't do that. I can't sit at number one. I can't have two number one guys. It's that. Yeah. Yeah, you can. You can. Move the other guy and then spend some money on other positions. Thoughts on Jaden? Jane Daniels? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I really liked what he did at LSU, especially as the year progressed. Did not like what he did at Arizona State, uh, especially under Herm Edwards, which I thought would work out really good. I think he's got some flaws. I don't see him um, being a top-tier quarterback in the NFL. But I will say this. I didn't see it with Lamar Jackson either um, coming out of Louisville. I thought, okay, Lamar eh, can't throw the ball, this and that. He's still not a very good passer. But again, went with the right organization. They had patience with him. You got an excellent coach in John Harbaugh. Todd Munkin's a great OC working with him. So it works. It depends on which organization Jaden Daniels goes with. But I like him. I, I like him, but not, not crazy about him. I'm not saying he's franchise material. Is he top five pick? If you need a quarterback, yeah. I mean, of the quarterbacks that are there, he he's probably he might be number two or number three as uh, far as as far as that. He could be better than Drake May. You know, Drake May, you know, great, nice little pocket passer, move a little bit, but bottom line is he's North Carolina. He's North Carolina. He's ACC. Not crazy about that. All right. I don't know. Um if Cliff Kingsbury becomes the offensive coordinator, that'd be a big splash. Never thought much of Kingsbury as a head coach, NFL or, or, or college. But coordinator, yes. He's got some good bells and whistles. Definitely could open it up. That would be a splash hire for the Raiders if they decide to do that. And I can see them doing that. I mean, that's that's a hire that makes sense. But there are several teams that want Kingsbury. Not as a head coach, but as an assistant, I could see that. Right, but there are some interesting, you know, quarterback uh, prospects uh, that are out there coming out of college. We'll come back, Jesse Merrick will join us. Jujitsu Jesse, Jujitsu Jesse, we'll get his thoughts on the press conference yesterday and see if he was a Raider chanter. The Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame celebration is back Sunday, February fourth at Thunder Valley Casino. Meet and greet the class of 2024: Matt Barnes, James Donaldson, Leon Lee, and Jamie Whitmore. 
Don't miss Sacramento's best sports night of the year. Food served between 6 and 7 p.m. Live entertainment with comedian Dennis Gaxiola. Get your tickets now at Ticketmaster.com for the Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame celebration Sunday night, February 4th. All info, go to SacSportsHOF.com. This is boxing referee Kenny Bayless, and what I say you must obey. So be sure to catch up with the broadcast at tcmartinshow.com. Oh, yes. We get ready, ladies and gentlemen. Our last guest, Paul Gutierrez, referred to our next guest with his new nickname as he comes on the show now, Jiu-Jitsu! Jesse! <laughs> Jesse Merrick, oh, News man. 3. What's going on, man? Well, what's up, man? Paul, Paul been talking to you guys. Paul, he been spreading his nickname for me around. Yeah, I mean, he got me on that. I'm usually the king of giving people nicknames. And when he said that, so I was promoing you were coming on the show. And he goes, whoa, 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 you have a jiu-jitsu Jesse on? I go, what? Stop. Wait a minute. Let's put a little boom in it. What are you talking about, Paul? Yeah, he dropped oh, it. Man. He dropped it, man. Come on, that's, Jesse. Let's hear great. about it, man. Wait, wait, Black Belt Jesse? Is that we got to start calling you? What's the deal? You say what? We got to start calling you Black Belt Jesse? Oh, hey, I'm not a black belt yet. Got, got my blue belt a while ago, so still still working on the craft here, but uh, still a ways to go until I get that black belt. But I fell in love with uh, the art of jiu-jitsu a couple of years ago. Um, and just kind of been practicing at it for a while. It's kind of, I'm a hobbyist, but man, I love it. That and boxing has kind of been my thing now, uh, my kind of release uh, for working out away from work. So it's, it's been a good time. And I know Paul appreciates the martial arts as well. Uh, so he's, uh, he's a good dude as well, too, man. He, he understands that side of the game, too. Yeah, no, <laughs> no doubt. It's funny because, you know, we've talked with you about the boxing before. You and B Sal, you know, sparring it up in the ring, and, and I yeah. get that. But I can tell you right right now, man, right? And I'm sure you'll agree with this. Uh, B Sal want nothing to do with jujitsu, Jesse. Nothing to do with it. Yeah, hey, we, we talk about it all the time. And, I, man, I really hope Brian's listening because I'm going to put him on blast here because we've talked about it off the air plenty of times, and he's going to be mad at me for this if he is listening. But, um, you know, countless times we'll talk when we're over there, you know, sparring at our gym over with uh, Wayne McCullough, former world champ. Shout out to Coach. Uh, you know, and we're over there, and, you know, Brian will start talking a little mess, and I'll be like, hey, how about a real fight, you know, where we, where we can go to the ground? And he's like, nah, man, I don't want any part of your jujitsu. He's like, I'll, I'll take my chances standing with you. Brian, Brian can fight. Brian, Brian definitely can box, that's for sure. But if this thing goes to the ground, it's a wrap, which I guess isn't really the biggest flex in the world on a guy that's, you know, 50 years old, but still. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious, man. You'd have thrown in the age there as well. Wow. Wow. That's Got uh, to get my jabs in while I can, man. You got it. You got a little <laughs> jab, jab, stick to the body. You know, that, bring, bring, exactly. it in with the hook. bring it in with the hook, man. Oh, man. As a, Nunchuck was trying to, trying to get B-Sal on the phone. He was trying to get get him on right now just so he can he can hear this. Oh yeah, uh, so he can defend himself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's too funny. All right, brother. So, um you were at the press conference yesterday. Now, full disclosure, okay? Uh were you one of the ones that got involved in the Raiders chant yesterday led by Antonio Pierce? I was not. There I am go. not the, uh, yeah, I'm not a clapper or a uh 
Raiders, Screamer, or any of that stuff at press conferences. It's happened at a few of them around town, I'll be honest, over at UNLV as well. Yeah. I'm all for our teams doing well. I want to see our coaches succeed. But I think that kind of crosses the line as a member of the media. Uh, it's a little odd, I'm not going to lie. Uh, but, hey, man, I'm all for excitement around our teams, and so I think it's cool that he gets the other people there that work for the team and are surrounded by the team involved in that type of stuff. Yeah, come on, Jesse. You don't have to give any names, though, but what, there had to be a media member or two that, that kind of that, that fell into his, his lap there, right? <laughs> I don't think there were any yesterday, but there was one in the past the first time he did it. But uh, I'm not calling anybody out on that one. I, I can't put that, those people on blast. No, no, no. I don't, want you, I don't want you to put them on blast. But just, you know, because I remember, and I'll, I'll, I'll put some people on blast. I remember I was covering a Packer-Viking game way, uh, way back in the day. And it was a first-round playoff game. And the uh, Vikings media, the, the Minnesota media, I mean, these guys, it was not, it was not Sam Gordon. Uh, at the time, this is before yeah. Sam Gordon, but these were like veteran, experienced guys, and um, you know they're sitting like down the row for me in the press box, and Minnesota jumps on board first, and they're going, yeah, yeah, they're high fiving each other. There's like three of them from the the Star Tribune there, right? And we're all looking at them like, are you kidding me? I mean, you know, we're Lambeau Field, you're media, this and that, and of course, you know, you always get the you know announcement, you know, there is no cheering in the press box, right? And then, of yeah, course, the Packers yeah, yeah. guy had to say, there is no cheering in the press box. And then, of course, the Packers, like, scored, like, three straight touchdowns, and they went on the win. And these guys, like, were hanging their head. It's like, what, what are you doing, man? And that always sticks yeah. out with me as far as, like, professional media members doing that. And But, you know, again, you know, when we hear the stories, like I'm sure you did, and we talked about it a lot last week, when the Tampa Bay media member who was asking uh, about the, you know, how are you going to prepare for the weather in Detroit to Todd Bowles last yeah. week, and then, you know, the other people in the media are just going, are you kidding me? How could you answer this? So there is always that one or two people, right, Jesse, in whatever team you're covering that eh, may not necessarily get it, but... I don't know. It's 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 kind of sad. Yeah, no. Yeah. There's always a couple. You know, sometimes one or two in the media crowd and whatnot. And you know, that's just part of the business. I guess that's the way that media is kind of changing and evolving. You know, and uh, I, look, I think it's great that everyone has a platform. Don't get me wrong, but um, you know, not everyone should necessarily be credentialed in that sense. And I'm not hating on anybody by any means, but. Uh, you know, I think there is a standard that you kind of got to go by. And look, I'm never one to say I'm some big J journalist, the most professional guy in the world, or any of that. But there's definitely a line that you've got to draw. And, uh, you know, you've got to be able to separate the fandom from covering them, even if you are a fan of those teams, you know. And uh, I'm lucky enough to not cover any teams that I'm actively a fan for, because uh, I know that'd probably be pretty tough to do, to be completely honest. All right. Jesse Merrick, News 3, uh, joins us right now. And uh, so let me get your take uh, overall of the press conference yesterday. And again, it seems like a little bit of a strange mix with a rookie uh, head coach in Antonio Pearson, obviously, that the players, you know, wanted back. I understand that. Mark Davis, you know, made a, d- a tough decision, says, okay, you know, I-, I know Mark's probably not crazy about that, but. It's like, hey, you know, I've got to listen to the players. Uh, I like the guy. I'm impressed. I like the the vim and vigor that he brings. But I got to have an experienced general manager that is going to balance this thing out here. And you definitely got that with Telasco, even though maybe his numbers and wins and losses that you know are are, are not great. He's under 500 in that. But then again, like I said last segment, I'm not sure that you can really, you know 
put that on a general manager. You got to, you know, pick the talent, assemble the talent, assemble the roster, make sure you got that, you know, that's the right scouting department and all that kind of stuff. But it's they do have to work in concert with each other. I mean, a GM and head coach have got to be joined at the hip. What was the chemistry like that you could just view for that half hour or so just between those two guys? Yeah, you know, look, I mean, I'm not going to sit there and say that it was like, oh, man, you could just, like, feel the chemistry between these two guys because that definitely wasn't the case. Um, you know, you could feel that between Champ and uh, Antonio Pierce when they were introduced as interim coaches. You saw it on the sidelines, all those things throughout the year when they were there, especially the last game of the season. Uh, you know, as AP runs down and they're chanting his name, AP, AP in the stands, and Champ runs over and shoves them. You know, you could just tell how close they are. Um, but these guys have just met each other, you know, uh, recently. So, you know, I think that's one of those things where it'll develop. But you can tell the professional respect they have for each other, like, very easy to see. And Telesco even noted the fact that when he came for his first interview, uh, that was before Antonio Pierce was named the head coach. And he was interviewing for the job, you know, imagining and expecting that Antonio Pierce was the coach. And I think it was just one of those things where, I mean, everybody that had been around this team and, and even many national media realized, like, the there sometimes like you just gotta listen to your locker room and, I, and especially you know with with the lions and everything they've done have done there with dan campbell and uh, again i don't think he gets enough credit as, as a you know a real football guy i think he gets called a, a little strong leader way too much like let's give the guy some credit for how intelligent he is and his football chops as well and i think that's something people need to give antonio pierce respect for as well but having said that, the leadership was undeniable in the way that he got these guys to play, both offensively and defensively. I mean, offensively, they were averaging, like, I think it was like 16 points per game under McDaniels. Please, uh, you know, Bo Hardegree steps in, and I believe the offense started scoring 19 points a game. It's not some massive swing, but it was still an improvement. And even though Antonio Pierce isn't an offensive guy, he had a part in that. So I think – so Lesko and many people around the league noticed that and realized like the tangible difference that Antonio Pierce created in this group, and that's where that respect. Jesse Merrick driving a little bit there. Uh, okay, we're back. We're back. I lost you a little bit, Jess. There it is. All right, go ahead. What's it? You guys got? Oh, okay. I just I like the balance, you know, that they that they do bring, like you noted. The fact that Telesco has the, the chops of evaluating talent, we've seen the success that he's had in drafts, and now it's like, hey, I'm gonna give you the groceries, now you go and cook. Mm-hmm. All right, Jess, uh let's talk about the this weekend. All right, we've got AFC NFC championship games. Uh who do you like and why? Yeah, yeah. I mean I had been picking and I know it's it's <laughs> the top seeds, but I had been picking San Fran and Baltimore to to get there for uh, quite a while now. Um, you know, look, I think it would be such a great story to see Detroit get past San Fran and get here. And, and again, even though I'm picking San Fran, like, I could see it happening just because of the physical nature of their offense and the efficiency that Jared Goff is playing with. You know, the big thing is going to be uh, that line secondary. How do they match up against these weapons, um, you know, the San Francisco offense, really the secondary and defense as a whole, but obviously their front seven has played really well throughout the year. So that's a game I'm really curious to see what San Fran team shows up. Do we see the one that looks vulnerable and was kind of getting gashed in the run game against Green Bay, or do we see the team that looks like when they're at their best, nobody's best is better than theirs, uh, you know? And uh, so that's one that I am real curious to see uh, how that game kind of plays out. And on the other side, it just kind of seems like this is Baltimore's year. I know the narrative that's been around Lamar for so long, he's kind of gotten the monkey off his back, and that last game played so well. 
uh, doing it in so many different ways. But then the Chiefs are always the Chiefs, even when many people count them out. Again, for them, though, I think it, you know, it comes down to the, yeah, it may, it may be boring, but you can't really stop the run. I mean, they couldn't stop the run against Josh Allen and company. They were getting gashed there as well, and nobody runs the ball better than the Ravens. So I think both of these games are really going to kind of be those, like, buckle your chin strap kind of slobber knocker type of games, and whoever can establish that line of scrimmage weather involved. I know it'll be a little different in San Francisco, Baltimore. I mean, uh, as far as I know, both those teams are playing outdoors. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think it's going to be that kind of grind-out type of game for both of them. All right. We'll have to see. You know, I know a lot of people that uh, are, you know, a lot, even some NFL people are thinking that the San Francisco-Detroit game has the makings of being a high-scoring game because, like like you said, Goff's had a great year. You've got those weapons, that wide, wide receiver. And, you know, if there's a weakness there in Detroit, it's definitely in their secondary I'm not going to get involved. I usually don't get involved in totals, but uh, yeah. you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I want, uh, that that game for me is how is Brock Purdy going to play here? Okay, this is yeah. this is a, a a huge opportunity for him, and I'll tell you, he came close to failing last week. Came close. He was he was he was bad on throws. He was off target. The weather obviously was a factor for him. You know, wanted to go with the glove and then take off the glove. And you know, you go back to the game in Cleveland earlier where he wasn't good in those kind of conditions. The game in Philly, the same type of thing. So I just you know we're going to probably get some rain again in San Francisco as well. So I'm very curious to see how he's going to perform. And then of course you know Debo Samuel. If Debo's not able to go. I mean, that is a big question mark. But I still like San Francisco. I think they have enough weapons. I think, you know, we're on a collision course for a rematch from that regular season game with Baltimore and San Francisco. And then, you know, to have that game here in Vegas, I mean, I think that would be uh, a great Super Bowl. But I I would probably say, Jesse, what do you think? Would you rather see Baltimore-San Francisco Super Bowl or Kansas City-San Francisco Super Bowl? I think I'd rather see Baltimore, San Francisco, because I mean, let's be honest. Like those are the two best teams. When you just look at the rosters, I mean, those to me are the two best teams. Yeah, obviously Pat Mahomes and and what he brings to the table as a quarterback, and we know the history that he has. But I personally would rather see San Fran and Baltimore. I know that game kind of got out of hand late. Uh, I believe that was on Christmas Day. Um, but I think the second time around, I think it would look a little different. You know, a much closer game, and and that's one that I even from Christmas. I really was like, man, I would like to see these two teams play again. So, to me, that's the one I'd rather see. All right. Yeah, looking forward uh, to both games here uh, this week. All right, Jesse, tell us what you got uh, cooking, man. What's, what are you and B-Sal cooking over there at, uh, at News 3 here as we get ready to approach the Super Bowl? Yeah, well, hey, uh, still covering a lot of the stuff from the Raiders, kind of taking a look at more of their offense and, and what they could be looking for in offensive coordinator. But uh, as we speak, could have been why the reception was cutting out a little bit there, driving down to the Dollar Loan Center. Cool, you know, not your normal quote-unquote sports content, but uh, going down and, and doing a little preview of the Guns and Hoses uh, hockey game that's going to be coming up here between the firefighters and the police out here, uh, you know, helping raise money for a pair of families that, uh, you know, lost loved ones that were first responders. So always a really cool event down there with that one. I'll be grabbing a couple of interviews and previewing that event. And then this weekend, the Lady Rebels back in action at home as well on Saturday, uh, taking on UNR at home over at the Thomas and Mac. That's always a good time. Anytime uh, you got a little rivalry action on your hands, so I'm excited for that one. Yeah, you got it. All right, and uh, we wish our, our girl uh, Lindy LaRock 
the best of luck. Uh, got the Rebels going uh, again this year. All right, brother, uh, enjoy your drive uh, to Henderson. Enjoy uh, that uh, that event uh, tonight as well, too, and we'll be looking forward to News 3. Yes, sir. As always, thanks, TC. I appreciate the time, my man. You got it, brother. Appreciate you. Keep on keeping on, brother. There it is, Jesse Merrick over at News 3. Does a fantastic job. Uh, with the sports anchoring along with Brian Salmon, the sports director over there, our guys there always like to incorporate, um, our guys on the television side as well. Chris Matthews, uh, uh joins us quite a bit. Of course, B Sal and Jesse and, uh, appreciate, uh, the effort, uh, with all those guys. All right, man. Um, how about the news about Josh Booty? All right. People, if you remember college football, uh, LSU wide receiver, former LSU wide receiver, um, Keyshawn Josh Booty has been arrested on charges related to illegal online gambling. Booty allegedly created a fraudulent online account when he was 20 years old and he placed over, get this, 8,900 bets over a year. 8,900 bets. 17 were on college football. Mm. At least six. On his team, LSU. Wow. Now, again, this has never really been much of a thing. But now with the legalized gambling in all these states, and remember, Louisiana is a big sports gambling state. Our good friend Mattress Mac goes down to Louisiana all the time and is betting. And now you got Booty doing this. He deposited $132,000 into a betting account. He won a total of a half million. I believe the number was $556,000 that he won, but blew a lot of that money. You know, actually ended up withdrawing 50,000. So that means of his original deposit, he lost 72 grand, but uh, now uh, has himself in trouble, arrested for illegally. Uh, illegal gambling. And again, 20 years old. And see, that's the thing. It's like you get somebody else to open an account for you. You can make all those bets. Uh, you know, and a lot of places will not require an ID. You're supposed to require ID when you withdraw. And I got, I cannot speak for the sports books, uh, in other states, especially in Louisiana. But, uh, yeah, we're hearing more and more of, of players, you know, betting. All right. Okay, uh, tomorrow we are at the Westgate Las Vegas inside the world-famous Superbook, our Friday show. Look forward to that. We'll be uh, previewing Kansas City, Baltimore, and San Francisco and Detroit, the two championship games. Marco D'Angelo joined me. Of course, our fine good friend, the vice president over the Superbook, Jay Cornegay, will join us as well. And uh, more guests coming your way as we uh, preview the weekend and uh, plenty of college basketball tonight. Gonzaga USF, they're in action tonight, right? See if our friend the Seven Footers team can pull off uh, the big upset against uh, the Zags here tonight. All right, I want to thank Scott Spritzer, throwing a little handicap in our way, like he always does each and every Thursday. The quarterback Steve Berline, and of course, uh, check out Steve Berline as he does a fantastic job, obviously on the NFL Monday Quarterback Show on the CBS Sports Network. He'll be coming to Vegas for Super Bowl week as well. We'll be broadcasting from Radio Row on that Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. 
And, of course, uh, Paul Gutierrez, great job that he always does with ESPN, the Raiders Insider, talking about the press conference yesterday and more thoughts on Tom Telasco as the new GM and Antonio Pierce coming back as the Raiders head coach. Tomorrow, 2 to 4 p.m. at the Westgate. You miss any part of the show, go to the website, check everything out at tcmartshow.com and also go to sacksportshof.com.